This Relay Radio podcast is brought to you by Authority Strike Herbicide from FMC. One application of Authority Strike Herbicide delivers a powerful one-pass burn-off to start, followed by extended weed control later. See your local retailer today for more information. It's time for Real Ag Radio on Rural Radio Channel 147 on Sirius XM. Radio and realagriculture.com is your home for insight and analysis of the issues that are impacting your farm business. Let's get real and get connected with Real Ag Radio. Welcome to Real Ag Radio here on Rural Radio 147, Sirius XM. Sean Haney, your host here on this Monday edition of the show. Thanks so much for making Real Ag Radio and Rural Radio 147 a big part of your workday. Also, a big shout out to everybody listening out there on the Real Ag Radio podcast. I hope you had yourself a great weekend. Uh, certain parts of the country, weather's looking pretty nice. Yes, like plus above plus 10 Celsius in certain parts of eastern Canada. Not the case out in Western Canada where it like windy in Southern Alberta. Some snow flying. Yeah, gross, 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 gross. And if you believe in the in like a lion, out like a lamb or vice versa for March, well, uh, we're, we may be headed for different uh, kind of weather here for both ends of the country in the next month. I can't believe we're talking about March. Ugh, man, time is flying by here, indeed. Today on the show, we are going to focus on agronomics, of course. We've got Peter W. P. Johnson here. We're going to talk about, okay, if you are going to cut some corners agronomically, are there places to cut and not cut, and the why of that? We're also going to talk about, get, kind of dig into some of the details of split-in applications when it comes to many of the crops that you are growing out there in the audience. Why would you split in? Why, you know, how do you do a split-in application? What are some of the reasons for it? All that and uh, more with Peter Wheat Pete Johnson today on the program. Also, of course, uh, the host of Wheat Pete's Word, the podcast. The new episode drops every Wednesday. We're also going to have a product spotlight with Houston DeBranger. He is with New Farm. And uh, he's going to be talking to Lindsay Smith today as well. And we'll also have some time for the top ag news stories of the day. If you have any feedback on today's program, we'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com. You can also find us across all the social media platforms. Or you are more than welcome to call the Real Ag Feedback line, 855-776-6147. Now, last week we talked a lot about uh, some of the Canadian Farmer Sentiment Index data relative to the fact that people under the age of 35 are much more optimistic about their current farm financial performance than the rest of the farming population. And I've been at, you know, I've had some speculations on why, and so have you, which is awesome. So I got a text here from Ron who says, uh, I suspect the biggest reason for, for this is that the under 35 farmer crowd has only been farming since 2008-ish when the ethanol boom started. As a rule, many of them have only seen relatively good times. Very few have had low prices for numerous years in a row. The tide is heading out, and we are going to find out who's got swimming trunks on. Oh, I like the metaphor, Ron. That's fantastic. So, yeah, I, I think that's kind of that. From a lot of the feedback that I've got, that has been, I, I think, the most popular opinion 
is that there's some naivety, some lack of experience when it comes to the under 35 crowd. The question I have, though, and I didn't write about this, we haven't really talked a lot about it, but the you know here's what's similar. It's not just the under 35 crowd that that is the the most optimistic. It's also farmers over five million in revenue. The largest farmers are also the most positive in terms of their outlook. And so we can we we can't that that crosses ages. We can't necessarily apply that same inexperienced logic. Now, what I think some people are going to jump to and they're going to say is, and, and this could be right, but the speculation is going to be, I think, that the largest farmers also have been growing with maybe reckless abandon. They, you know, it's just grow, baby, grow. And they're highly levered, and they're, they're going to face some challenges. Like This is all very interesting to steer through and, uh, and think about, but uh, definitely it, it comes to farmers under 35. The perception out there is that they are headed into something that they're, they really have never seen before. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I, I think everyone's being pretty hard on the under 35 crowd. Uh, I, I, I can come up with some counterpoints to it, but uh, it is what it is. I, I appreciate your feedback. Keep it coming. S. Haney at Real Agriculture. Dot com. Did you now? I I, I've, I I didn't do any work this weekend. I I kind of chilled. Okay, I chill. I, I got. I have so much travel in front of me. Basically, from this week going forward, I think I travel every week between now and the end of April. It's going to be a haul. Okay, this is in. Hey, the, just like in the fall time, your harvest. You're on the combine. You're bagging lots of hours. This is kind of my time. This is my harvest time, if you want to put it that way, and you, you use that comparison. So I, we just we sort of just chilled out. Yesterday, I watched the NASCAR race, and I used to watch a ton of NASCAR. Haven't you know a lot lately? But what a Atlanta race! I know if you missed it, but check out the highlights online. Three cars. They were like it, it was like point zero 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 one seconds between three cars at the finish. It was amazing. Very lots of wrecks. It was it was a nutty race. It was a lot of fun to watch. I was kind of like, man, I should be watching more NASCAR. But it definitely is a sport that's sort of fallen off a little bit. It was it there was a heyday for it. I was a huge Tony Stewart fan. Love Tony Stewart. When Tony retired, I actually kind of sort of kind of became disinterested. I don't know why. Um, but it was, that was a great race there yesterday. And of course, like we talked about on Friday, spring training. Can't get enough of it. I just oh, so glad Baseball's here, which means spring is here, warmer weather is here. Looking forward to it indeed. It doesn't look like it outside the window in southern Alberta, but looking forward to it being more of a, it's coming. Spring is coming. Let's take a break, and uh, when we come back, uh, Peter Wee Pete Johnson's going to join us right after this. The Canola School on realagriculture.com is your one-stop shop for everything a canola grower needs. Check out our free video series on YouTube for all the latest in canola agronomy, research, marketing, and more. Don't have time to watch? Download the podcast version of the Canola School on realagriculture.com or anywhere you download your podcasts. Stay on top of all things canola with the Canola School on realagriculture.com, brought to you by BASF and Invigor Hybrid Canola. Welcome back to Real Ag Radio. I am your host, Lindsay Smith, and this segment is all about Coke Agronomic Services. And joining me on the line is Tom Barry. What are nitrogen stabilizer considerations then under uncertain weather, particularly dry conditions or persistent drought conditions? 
Well, that brings in twofold, right? The first two times when you really want to be considering, like I said, are broadcast or shallow banded applications. The second consideration is drought. And the second consideration, even though we don't have a whole lot of snow right now, is if you are in an area that has moisture, is denitrification or, or leaching, even though leaching doesn't occur as, as much as people think it does in Western Canada. Um, but uh, that's when you want to use a product that has a nitrification inhibitor in it. So remind us yeah. then, what products from Coke Agronomic Services should farmers be considering as they sit down to work through these scenarios? So if it's if it's wet or going to be a little bit moist, more moist in the spring, um, you're going to want to use a dual inhibitor from Coke Agronomic Services. And if it's on the dryer bias, you're going to want to use a urea inhibitor. Let's get rolling with Agronomic Monday. This segment's brought to you by Co-op. Co-op knows your community because we live here too. Our teams are your trusted partners with a range of expertise to help support your entire farm operation. Co-op, here for your farm, here for your family. Learn more at the Co-op website by going to co-op.crs/farm. Joining us right now, like he does on most Mondays, it is Peter Wheat, Pete Johnson. Pete, how are you doing on this fine Monday morning? John, I am absolutely amazing. First off, the sun is just gorgeous today. It's a bright blue sky and sunny, and, and you know if it's sunny, Pete's in a good mood. It's also the end of this week is the beginning of meteorological spring. So March 1st is meteorological spring, uh, even though most of us would say March 21st. So that makes me happy. Spring is here. and added grandson number well grandchild number eight a new grandson on sunday and uh, that's number eight for feet that how could life be better well congratulations another grandchild it, it just it, it proves one thing pete you're, you're vibrant your family is vibrant <laughs> <laughs> yeah i hope so sean absolutely and and they're all different, and they're all great. But in this, Mum and and Reggie are both doing fine, and that's exactly the way that that we want. I I don't get to see Reggie until I don't know uh, whenever I get to the UK because he he was born in London, England, mm. to our daughter Allison, and so yeah, uh, we we only get pictures at this point, and he's not quite talking yet for a, a family FaceTime call. So nonetheless. Uh, really excited, yeah, really happy everything's good. Well, congratulations, Pete. So happy for uh, the Johnson family. Okay, um, let's let's talk about a, a number of different things here. Um, now, we've been talking about some of the pessimism that is out there. Eastern and Western Canada, it's fairly consistent how farmers are feeling about the 2024 crop year and, and quite frankly, also beyond. Now, this works its way into agronomic decisions. And what I have been saying on this show is we have to be cautious here. We have to be careful because our, our, our more pessimistic outlook can, can if, if not properly managed and, and kept in check, can cause us to make some bad agronomic decisions that really shoot ourselves in the foot if some of these patterns and trends that have been happening reverse themselves. What have you been hearing from growers? Yeah, not just bad decisions, but but disastrous decisions, Sean. Like, oh my gosh, you can you can all the good agronomy that you've done for how many years? You one one slip 
along that path and you can set yourself back massively. And so uh, it is interesting and, and times are tough. I get that. Uh, I, I still have way too much crop from 2023 harvest left to sell. Bad on me. I've, I've never been a great marketer. Uh, I'm probably, you know, even more below average this year. So that, so it hurts. I get that. I had a client that I talked to this morning, actually, and, and we were talking about other things, but just as we went through it, he says, yeah, I'm really glad I let that $500 an acre rent rental agreement go to someone else because you're paying $500 land rent at today's prices and yields. Hokey, nothing. That, that's tough, man. But from a management standpoint, and, and here again, if you're in a one-year lease agreement, I hate those because it almost for sure means that you're already dealing with low soil test levels. And if you're dealing with low soil test levels, the data is really quite clear. You plant corn, you need to get sufficient potash in particular and phosphorus too, but one way or another, potash is actually more important in this corn management process than even the phosphorus is. If you have low potash, you don't apply potash, your nitrogen use efficiency just drops out, out the, the basement. And so you can't walk away from that potash in your starter fertilizer program unless you have good base fertility levels. So this is where you back up and say, how has your management been up to 2024 if you built those soil test levels so you're medium or, or better uh, on both phosphorus and potash and your pH is where it should be, then, yeah, you can pull some fertilizer dollars out and not hurt yourself as long as you don't do it long term. If you do it long term, it, it, eventually it will bite you. But you, you can do that this year. You're on a one-year rental agreement and you're looking at, you know, sub 100 potash tests on the ammonium acetate or even on the malic test. That's sort of a, a, both of those tests on potash are close. You're sub 100 and you're growing corn. You have to put some potash out there and it's best if you can get it kind of as a starter fertilizer program. On, on soybeans, same thing. You have low soil test um, values, you better broadcast some phosphorus and some potash. And there, the soybeans need the phosphorus as much as they need the potash, maybe even more, which is the exact opposite of what I was taught when I went through school. But fertility management, like you can, if you don't put that potash with the corn crop, you can give up 30 bushels per acre. So even at $4 a bushel after drying and and you know trucking costs that's probably about the net after drying give or take well 30 bushels at, at four bucks 120 dollars if you don't spend 20 dollars on potash you like that that's a six to one return man that that just that yeah <laughs> spend the money on the potash what else can i say yeah but but this goes with with many crops though right it, it's it's making sure you have the proper building blocks off the start to ensure that you're not you're knocking yourself off that optimum yield curve, right? Because it, it, once you're off that, once you're knocked off that optimum yield curve, it, it's hard to recover. You're, it's not like you're, 
you know, down seven nothing in the fifth inning, and you come back and you you win the game. When it comes to to farming, once you're once you're behind, you're you're behind, right? Absolutely. And, and look at you, Sean, the budding agronomist. <laughs> if you if you have low soil fertility, it doesn't matter what you bring to the table from a starter fertility standpoint. You cannot gain the yield back that you would get by simply having medium. Uh, soil test levels to begin with, and so you're right. You're down seven nothing in the in the fifth inning or the even the eighth inning. You can come back and win it eight seven. No, if you're if you're below a hundred on on potash and for the uh, ammonium acetate uh, soil test, if you're below let's say twelve or or for sure below ten, no way you can't. If you're down if you're down those that low, you can never achieve. What a grower can that's got a 25 for phosphorus and a, a 120 for potash or, or something in those ranges. Right. And, and that's really interesting. Now, some growers may be listening to this and saying, well, hold on here, you two yahoos. Think about last year, the U.S. corn crop. It outperformed what many of the expectations were. It, it, it rallied. Think about the Western Canadian canola and, and wheat crop. It, it, over, it outperformed. It, it rallied back. Now, in those situations where the crops uh, outperformed what the expectation was, I think it's it's not that they 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 fought their way back. It's it's the fact it, it's the fact that they they weren't actually as far behind as we thought they were from a off the optimum yield curve. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. And and Sean, I think you've got to be careful because you're talking about uh, you know the global corn yield. I'm talking about the yield on that farm. And so if the weather, you know, we, we were dry, 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 and then all of a sudden we got enough moisture during the critical part of the growing season, and, and so the, the potential yield based on the rainfall went up. And overall, we got a good crop. But in that one field, man, if I, even though the yields went up and I got 200 bushels, if it was sub 100 for potash and I didn't put potash on, I left 30 bushels on the table. I could have gotten 230 bushels per acre. Right. So you really have to have to take away the, the just just the overall yield, and you have to look at agronomy on a field by field or even a a, a region by region basis within the field to do the best thing on management. And and Sean, we're only talking fertility. The other thing that that, that worries me even more than fertility is weed control and growers that, you know, that are saying, well, you know, no money in it. We're just going to spray, spray glyphosate. And if, if you do not control weeds, it, the data is quite clear. You can lose 50% of your soybean yield, 40% of your corn yield, man. And we have resistant weed just, and so does Western Canada. You have to stay on top of those weeds. If you don't, and they go to seed this year, Guess what? One year's seeding is seven years weeding. And so it's not only stay on top of the fertility and do the right job there. It's also stay on top of the weed control because that is a one year and, and now we fight out of it for seven. So the fertility is a long-term thing as well. It, it, once you get low, you're right. It takes years to bring it back yeah. or, or quite a lot of fertilizer to bring it back. So uh, I don't know, double header on don't do it wrong. But be, be- be conscious of if you are going to cut some corners and you are going to trim some costs, you are going to make some decisions based on economics. 
make sure you're selective. Make sure you're running the numbers and you're not creating a, a series of unintended consequences. Right? Uh, and, and yeah, 100% shot. And, and man, so wheat, if you're growing wheat, wheat doesn't care much about potash. And, and unless it's super dry, you can have really low potash levels and wheat doesn't yield any less. And so it's kind of like know your crop, know its its weaknesses or its needs, and make sure you target those inputs, those input dollars to where you're going to make the most money. And on the fields that you own, where you have good soil test levels, then then those are the fields that you can actually say, okay, I need to make a bit more profit on those ones to, you know, to keep my my rented fields viable for another year. And on those good soil tests, you can say, we'll cut back there for this year and hopefully this year only because times are tight and you're not going to hurt your yield there. So targeted reductions where you know you don't have resistant weeds, you can cut, you can cheap out on the, on a weed control and probably get away with it. Where you have resistant water hemp, resistant fleabane, resistant kochia, do not cut back on your, on your herbicide costs because it's just going to bite you hard. Yeah. Okay. So I, I have an example based like the way I understand something. Okay. So in the case of weed control, like let, let's say, let's say you got a really crappy crop. Okay. It doesn't rain and there's really no yield out there. You're thinking crop insurance, taking care of the weeds is still important because there's a carryover effect. Okay. Right. You just outlined that in the case yep. of, I, I interviewed Dr. James Tanzi, the government of Saskatchewan entomologist Grasshoppers is different. Grasshoppers, like if, if the crop's gone, spraying those grasshoppers for the fourth time because you think, you're, well, we, we got to make sure we spray them because we don't have a problem next year. It'd be worse. That's not the case. Right? Exactly. And, and so. That, 100%. That, yeah. So that that's where we got to really make sure when we're looking at where we're cutting. And li- listen, I hope we have to worry about none of this because. It's going to, we're going to have really good conditions. The market's going to recover and it's going to be an awesome 2024. But if you do get in a situation where you do think you need to think about cutting some costs because of the year in front of us, like everyone's been saying to us, if you look at the Canadian Farmer Sentiment Index, it's pretty clear. Make sure you're making the decisions with full, like paying attention, writing it out, pencil, spreadsheet, and knowing all of the impacts and uh, where the right places are to do so. Pete, we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear a product spotlight with New Farm. Houston Branger is going to be with us. And then when we come back after that, Peter Johnson will be here for another segment. You're listening to Real Ag Radio on Rural Radio 147, Sirius XM. I'm Lindsay Smith from realagriculture.com. Join me Monday nights for The Agronomist, a one-hour live and interactive show broadcast across YouTube, Facebook, and X. Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, I host expert agronomists from all over the country to give you answers to some of the toughest agronomic questions. Join us live or catch the replay Tuesday morning. That's The Agronomist with me, Lindsay Smith, Monday nights live at 8 p.m. Eastern. It is time for a product spotlight. With me now, I've got Tyler Gullen. He's the technical services manager, Western Prairies, for New Farm. You can't go far without having a discussion on resistant weeds, herbicide-resistant weeds in Western Canada, specifically kochia. So how has New Farm been working on solutions to help farmers navigate 
the kochia and greater herbicide resistance challenge. So New Farm's been working really hard on combating herbicide resistance for a long time. And, and something we did recently was rediscovered a, a lost herbicide in the process that we coined Duplisan. So Duplisan is a group four herbicide active, you know, a systemic good group four herbicide active. You know, the most exciting part for Western Canada is kochia is, is one of these eight herbicide resistant weeds that Duplisan is, is still controlling. If you want more information on Duplisan or Oxbow and how they can help manage resistant weeds in your field, you can always go to newfarm.ca slash Duplisan, that's D-U-P-L-O-S-A-N. Welcome back to Real Egg Radio. I'm Lindsay Smith, and it is time for today's product spotlight. Joining me, he's the territory manager for South Central Ontario with New Farm. It is Houston de Brabender. How are you, Houston? I'm great, Lindsay. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. All right, so now New Farm released its new cereal herbicide last year. It's called True Slate Pro. Tell me, what is it? When can farmers use it? Yeah, so... TrueSlate Pro is our newest product for use in cereals. It's a in-crop product, and we get registrations on winter wheat, spring wheat, barley, and oats. And we're using it uh, generally so far just in the spring, and it's proving to be really helpful for us and farmers for getting control of some tough perennial weeds and some thistle species, as well as covering off our Canada fleabane, vetch, and all of our sort of annual uh, usual suspects ragweeds, pigweeds, lamb squarters, and, and mustards. Now, this is one that, as you mentioned, gets uh, gets a hold of some of these tough-to-kill weeds, some of these um, very common ones, like fleabane, like you mentioned. Um, is What's the window of application? So you can use this product from a third tiller to coming into flag leaf. It is like a very crop-safe uh, product. We've got you know three active ingredients pre-mixed in here that uh, we know quite well. And I'd say like the margin of safety is very high for tank mixing with uh, fungicides or foliar fertilizers. And, you know, our ability to use it uh, on oats should, is a bit of a, a testament to, you know, how easy it is for the crop to digest this product. Well, you mentioned that this is, you know, it's, it's, new, it's a new product, but it is one that New Farm says it's easy to use. It's farmer friendly. What does that mean? <laughs> so I think what farmers are really liking about this is how simple it is. And a lot of that comes from the formulation. It's got three herbicides pre-mixed together, uh, all in one jug. So at a simple 500 mil per acre rate, it's really all you need for your weed control. And it's going to get you uh, covered on your perennials and your annuals. And it's also flexible to use across those three different crops. You're, you can use it if you're growing some oats. If you've got wheat as well, you can use the same product. And it's uh, one that's been proving to be very crop safe for us out there as well. All right. Now, if someone wants to learn more about TrueSlate Pro, uh, where can they go for more info? Who can they talk to? So they can check us out online, newfarm.ca, and there they can find info on their local territory manager. You've got uh, me and Adam Bent uh, in eastern Ontario, Joe Thomas in the southwest, as well as uh, Gilbert Bro in Quebec. Or, you know, you can always try our 1-800 line. We've got uh, 1-800-868-5444, always ready to help and take your questions. And you can also uh, take a look 
for us on YouTube. There's a few farmer testimonials, guys who got on trying this product early and heard from them how they liked it and how it's worked for them on their farm. All right. Okay. Houston, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for your time. Okay. And we'll be back with more Real Ag Radio right after this. Through a growing storm of kosher, cleavers, chickweed, and more, there's a clear path. Introducing Oxbow, a versatile cereal broadleaf herbicide that gets the job done. Powered by Duplisan technology, Oxbow is your workhorse on resistant kosher and other tough weeds. With flexibility in timing, rates, and recropping options, your path is clear. Find your way on the path of least resistance at newfarm.ca slash oxbow. Hi, I'm Bernard Tobin, host of the Soybean School on realagriculture.com. Throughout the year, on the Soybean School, we'll bring you timely agronomic video content from planting to harvest, from the latest agronomic research to the latest in production technology. Check out our massive video library on YouTube, realagriculture.com, or Download the audio podcast versions wherever you get your podcasts. The Soybean School is brought to you by BASF and Syngenta Canada. Yeah, welcome back to Real Ag Radio. You know what? Alliance Seed. Good stories grow with the highest quality seed backed by committed retailers and years of research in yield, disease resistance, maturity, and grain quality. Start writing the next chapter for your operation with Alliance Seed. Learn more by going to allianceseed.com. We are joined again by Peter Wheat Pete Johnson, who, if you, as you heard earlier, new grandchild over the weekend. So big congratulations to Pete and the, the family. Uh, Pete, we were just talking earlier about making the right agronomic decisions given the, the current year. You you were uh, corresponding with Josh from North Dakota talking about splitting in. I, I would like to just hit on that quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So I got a pink, and I love when growers send me these kinds of questions, these situation questions. So in 2022, Josh, you know, he, he hears wheat peat talk about split nitrogen, a whole bunch of other people talk about split nitrogen and, and not putting all your nitrogen on in the fall if you're in a dry climate like Alberta or Saskatchewan or Montana or North Dakota. So his normal program had put been all fall apply. He, he shifted. He put 50 on in the fall. He put 60 on in the spring and he did some plots. And so... The split, he gained 10 bushels per acre in yield. The protein was 0.6% higher, and his combine speed, and I I have a little trouble understanding how this happened, but don't argue with the data. He was able to combine where he spring-applied nitrogen at a full mile per hour faster. So in 2023, he, he went mostly that way and put 50 on in the fall, expecting to come back with 60 in the spring or something in that range, gets to the spring, it's super dry. And so he's scratching his head saying, like, what do I do at this point? So I'll stop there, Sean, and say, man, from, a, from an input management standpoint, when you do not know how much available water you're going to have, like, it's just got to be way better to only spend money on 50 pounds of nitrogen on in the fall than 110 or 120 pounds of nitrogen on in the fall. At least I have that 
bring nitrogen opportunity to not spend those dollars when it gets that dry. That's exactly what Josh did. So he only put on 40 pounds in the spring on most of it, but he did some at zero and he did some at 60 and the zero yielded as much as anything else. And his, his real question to me was, did I leave some yield on the table? Should I have upped my rate in the fall because the spring applied nitrogen, we just never seem to get enough, enough water to move it into the soil for it to be a benefit. And like that is the one challenge when you go to these split nitrogen ideas and we have the same thing in corn. It's can we make sure that we get utilization out of that, that soil applied or that surface applied nitrogen in, in the spring. And so my, I didn't get from Josh and, and I need to correspond more with him, but did, did he think he lost yield because other growers who were a hundred percent in the fall got higher yields? Or was it just simply that it's such a lack of moisture that that that's what limited the yield and the zero was the most economical rate of nitrogen and saved that other 60 pounds cost. So it's it's a really great scenario to kind of sit through and talk through and say, man, what do we change in the fall of 23 for the 24 crop? He upped his fall nitrogen rate to 60 pounds instead of 50 pounds because he was just a little concerned that maybe he left something on the table. And and I think that's how you manage these things. And that's how you learn moving forward yeah. is by doing these plots. But, but you got to split. You, you don't split. You spend 100% of your nitrogen right out the gate. You've got no opportunity for better management Option. Okay, what I keep on hearing from the audience when we talk about this, the most common response I get is, I'm not set up to do that. And what I keep on wondering, and I'm not going to tell people how to spend their capital dollars, but I, if ba- based on, especially in some of these dry areas, I think this is where I'd be spent. I, I would be getting set up to do this because I, I, I think this is this makes a lot of sense to me, but I think for some there's a, there's there's barriers that people are having a hard time getting past. Um, maybe there's others too. Uh, you could send me what those barriers are if you're not doing this. But is is that your perceived barrier as well? Well, that's one of them, and I would I would suggest that 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 isn't a real barrier because if all you have to do is broadcast urea in the spring. It's, it's maybe not the preferred source in terms of, of uniformity of, of application. I'm a liquid guy. I like liquid better. They're probably using anhydrous in the fall. The anhydrous is a bit cheaper. But, you know, in, in Kansas State's data and also in some Ontario data, if you split apply your nitrogen, you get far more of that fertilizer nitrogen in the crop. And this is true in corn as well. Dr. Tony Vine talked about this on Tech Talk Tuesdays last Tuesday, and I was astounded, but his data is clear. As soon as you split, and the split doesn't even have to be that great, like, you know, half up front and half at, at normal side dress time, like six to eight leaf corn, you get higher protein in the crop. You get more nitrogen fertilizer uptake in the crop. You may not get more yield but you still get more nitrogen in the crop. When you get more nitrogen in the crop, you get higher protein in the grain. 
And so in corn, up to 65% of that nitrogen can, can come out in the grain. You can get a full percentage point increase in, in the grain of corn with no added nitrogen fertilizer, not more fertilizer, just the same amount. Now, if you're Peter Johnson and you're dumping your corn at the pit, they don't pay you for protein. But if I'm, if I'm Josh out in North Dakota growing hard red spring, by golly, or hard red winter, they are paying me for protein. So that that can be a big deal. If I'm feeding my own corn, again, that added protein is an absolute big deal. Right. And other things that I well, find... Okay, hold oh, sorry, on though. Ahead, okay, but yep, yep. some people may say, okay, well, wait a minute. Like the, the advantage is increased protein. When it's this dry and I'm growing spring wheat in foremost Alberta, protein's not my problem. Right? Cut your nitrogen rate back. If you split apply, you have the ability to to fine tune that nitrogen rate and still get 16% protein, and and you can apply 30 pounds less nitrogen. And so, uh, when you say get set up to do this, buy yourself a fertilizer spreader. They're fast. Uh, in fact, they're faster than liquid even getting across the field. What, okay, what about like, the in-crop? So like what I, what I hear from people is, okay, I'm doing mid-row banding on my Burgo drill. Okay? So mm-hmm. I'm not set up to do the second app. Like what, 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 what kind of equipment are people using on the second application? Yeah, so for the most part, they're, they're uh, dribble banding a liquid fertilizer. And so that can be dissolved urea. It's a little bit hassle to make, or it can be 32% or 28% uh, urea ammonium nitrate solution, UAN solution. But if you dribble band that on a soil surface, uh, you don't need much moisture to get that where the plant roots can pick it up. But you do need some soil moisture. And so if you're really talking about super dry, never rains, you have to knife it in. And so then you get to people, uh, you know, that, that will actually uh, mid-row band fertilizer in the spring in between that winter wheat rows. Those 12-inch winter wheat, wheat rows, they'll, they'll skip row, mid-row band uh, in between those. Uh, Steve Larock, for example, in Alberta, yep. he's one of the guys that does that. And, and that takes a bit more time. It's a bit more effort. There's some added cost because... Now I'm not just flying over the field. I actually have to get it into the soil. But there are still ways to do that. And I, I don't know. I, I just, there's so many opportunities. And from an environmental standpoint, if, you know, if you, if we want to talk about added benefits, man, just getting that extra nitrogen in the crop is, is a huge win from an environmental standpoint. Plus I get higher protein. And it, it can change the carbon to nitrogen ratio of the stover. One of the things we're seeing in the corn crop is that we're getting higher carbon to nitrogen ratios in the stover, making it tougher to break down. Uh, you split apply nitrogen and, and the residue breaks down more easily and can feed those nutrients to the, to the next soybean crop uh, much better than as if you have a, a very high carbon to nitrogen ratio. Hmm. Very fascinating. Hey, did you see this story about chemical residue in oat-based cereal? What, what what's uh, going on here? How does this work back to the farm? Is there is there any? Is this just another one of these like overblown? Like the the residual is so low that we're making a big deal out of nothing, or is there something more here? 
oh, Sean, you just, you just, you just got to kind of you know, just shove that knife in and twist it a wee bit, right? Because again, why can we not understand the science behind all of this? And, and it's a thousand times, or actually maybe 10,000 times correct that it's overblown. And the reason it's overblown, because right in the report that they, that they wrote, they say that the residue levels that they found were several orders of magnitude below what, what they call the reference level in, in the U.S. And that's the level that they look at to say, well, that reference level means that I'm probably about two orders of magnitude, at least one, probably two orders of magnitude below any, any chance of a problem with that level of residue in that oat-based product, that wheat-based product. And so when I add those two numbers together, I'm, I'm at least three or four that below the reference level, and it's one or two below the actual concern level, I'm like, that's uh, at least five, maybe six orders of magnitude. And it's a bit like table salt. Like, if you eat enough table salt, it will kill you. It, it, uh, by the way, I love salt, and I use probably too much. And the more recent data says that a little extra salt is less injurious to your health than not enough salt. Yeah, yeah. But man... But regardless, if all I do is eat salt, guess what? I'm, it's going to kill me. And so it's a bit like saying, well, table salt can kill me. So therefore, if I eat one grain of table salt, like that could kill me. And the chances, like that, that, the answer there is no, that one grain is nothing. But, but just this, this, I don't know how they, how they can take this stuff. And it seems in the U.S. legal system that, that they just ignore the science or they don't understand how these things work and, and things happen that you just uh, like make no sense. You got a better chance of dying from jaywalking. Exactly. Or getting up in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I, I don't know. For, for some, math is hard. I, I wasn't exceptionally good at math, <laughs> but at least I understand this. I don't know. It's the world we live yeah, in, man. Well, it's, it's the world we live in. Yeah. So, uh, hey, exactly. what, 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 what do you got on tap this week? What, what's going on in Peter Johnson's world? Peter Johnson is a busy week uh, this week, Sean. Thanks for asking. Uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, is the Middlesex Soil and Crop uh, Annual Crops Update. And so that's going to be a whack of fun. There's some excellent speakers. I get to back clean up in a mm. Q question and answer. They call it the, um, uh, the bullpen, right, or the bullpen. And, and it's kind of uh, Pete bullshit for the day pardon my language <laughs> and and so then uh, Wednesday of course we're doing the word uh, Thursday I have two meetings I'm speaking at Mazex and also the Ontario potato growers and then I'm at Midwest co-op on Friday so I'm all in Ontario it's what the first week in a while I haven't been outside the province but lots on the go oh good for you that'll be a lot that's that is a busy week that is a busy week well hey I'm I'm headed to the CFA meeting in Ottawa and then uh, that's a short trip, and then headed to Houston for Commodity Classic. So it's uh, busy here as as well. Hey, Pete, thanks so much for joining us here this week on the show. Really appreciate it. No, as always, Sean, love being here, and ha yeah, enjoy Ottawa. And I'm envious of the Commodity Classic. <laughs>
Have a good one. It's going to be a good one, indeed. Uh, also, what's going to be a good one is the Canadian Crops Convention. It's heading to Winnipeg this year for March 5th through the 7th. This year's theme is Growing Opportunities, includes a stellar lineup of knowledgeable speakers and great networking opportunities. Find out more, and you can register by going to canadiancrops.ca. We'll be right back on Real Ag Radio for the top ag news stories of the day right after this. What's next for your fields? At Pioneer, delivering industry-leading genetics drives everything we do. From the scientists in the lab to our local teams with boots on the ground, we are determined to get there first. Developing top-performing products proven in more growing conditions than ever before. Pioneer. What's next happens here. Visit pioneer.com Canada to learn more. Get all the information you need to keep your pulse crop healthy and profitable with the Pulse School on realagriculture.com. The Pulse School is a free YouTube video series covering agronomy, research, and more across a host of different pulse crops. It's also available as an audio podcast wherever you download or stream your favorite podcast. Check us out on YouTube or visit realagriculture.com, The Pulse School, brought to you by BSF Canada. Featuring down and dirty agronomic science and actionable crop management insights, The Dirt is the place to listen to industry experts break down the latest crop nutrition research and news. It is the podcast that helps farmers make better business decisions through actionable insights. Get ready for Season 3 of The Dirt coming this spring. Okay, let's move on to the top ag news stories of the day here on this Monday. A few interesting things indeed. Canada potentially boosts military spending. Now, this is something that I have been a major proponent of. I've been yakking about this for a year. So the Golden Mail says that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau defended Canada's defense spending Monday as Polish counterpart Donald Tusk urged the rest of the West to confront the real dangers Russia poses as a critical juncture in its war with Ukraine. There is still more to do, but Canada is doing it, Trudeau says uh, during a joint news conference. Uh, quoted as saying, I recognize Poland stepping up significantly in its own military spending, but so will Canada. We will continue to make sure that the women and men of the Canadian Armed Forces and the people around the world are our allies who rely on them. will continue to get the equipment and the support they need. Well, I think we've kind of heard this before a little bit. Didn't they just cut military spending? And that, Yeah. So this, I I wish... I really wish the conservatives would make this much more of a political issue for the upcoming election sometime between now and uh, fall of 2025. So we'll see uh, if the Trudeau government comes through with that in the budgeting time. Economists are upping their predictions for U.S. economic growth and lowering their expectations for a recession this year on a stronger household demand and government spending. A Bloomberg monthly survey of economists forecast 2.1% annualized rate of expansion this year, up from 1.5% expected in January. Any great news in the U.S. economy is good news for the Canadian economy. Okay, so uh, I think that's that's that that is a positive here today. Is is we're we're starting to to talk more and more like, yeah, like recession. What now? 
affordability is still, it's, it's very confusing because affordability is a real, real issue in parts of, of the U.S., but the, the, the economy and the stock market just keep on rolling, it seems. Uh, they've showed a lot of resilience, a lot of resilience. In regards to China's trade strategy, Financial Times has a piece saying that building an alternative architecture uh, for their economy amid escalating trade tensions with the West, China is accelerating efforts to construct its own trade ecosystem, focusing on developing nations and bolstering bilateral and regional free trade agreements. And like I said, that was according to the Financial Times. I, I, I'd be curious. I, I don't have a subscription to the Financial Times, so I was just able to get the, the summary. But is that not part of the Belt and Road Initiative, or is this a divergence from that? Because that, that sounds very familiar to what they've been doing with the Belt and Road when it comes to really, really leaning on developing nations. And a part of that is uh, those developing nations also owing China a lot of money. And uh, how China behaves in some of these free trade agreements that it's talking about, especially some of the multilateral ones. That, uh, and, and how willing, you know, and what I wonder here is how far are we from more, you know, again, more of a resurgence of the thought and the questions around China joining the CPTPP, which would be kind of weird because the original idea behind the Trans-Pacific Partnership was, was a defense strategy against China, which is now what they're talking about doing. So I, I don't know. Well, time will tell. Walmart is rethinking food and other costs. Walmart said late last year that it may soon see deflation in certain items, but the big box retailer walked back that sentiment last week. Many companies either are still contending with rising prices or downplaying areas where prices are falling because it could signal weakness about their businesses or the economy. While deflation may hit some segments like food later this year, it remains to be seen how it could affect the prices shoppers pay. And I also heard that Target is starting to remove groceries from some of its Target stores as well. So because they can't make money in groceries. That's interesting. And hey, remember when the Canadian government was talking about, you know, recruiting or incentivizing or bringing uh, a large American grocer to Canada to add competition to the market? Where'd that go? Yeah. Because it ain't happening. Limited reaction expected to the cattle on feed report. USDA's cattle on feed report showed the February 1st feedlot inventory at 0.4% from a year ago, while placements dropped 7.4%, and marketing inched down to 0.1%. The underlying data in the report is bullish as there continues to be tightening supply of cattle moving into feedlots, with placements down from a year ago levels from a th- for a third straight month, a trend that will continue. But with placements near the top of the end of the wide range of pre-report estimates, it could take away some of the friendliness of the data. Still, we expect limited market response, especially after reports of higher cash cattle trade after the report on Friday afternoon, that according to ProFarmer. Here is this. <laughs> this has nothing to do with agriculture, okay? I, I, like, I can't even pretend to connect. <laughs> but I, I found it interesting. Tyler Loudon who is a Houston resident, he pleaded guilty to insider trading. Now, get ready for it. This wasn't like he got a stock tip from his buddies over beer or he heard it at a meeting and you know made a fake trade account and did some insider trading that way. <laughs> this is, you got to think in today's world of work-at-home environments, this is more common. So 
He pleaded guilty to insider trading after overhearing his wife, who is a former BP executive, discussing a planned acquisition while she worked from home. Loudon made 1.76 million trading shares based on the information that he heard facing charges filed by the Securities and Exchange Commission. <laughs> I wonder if his wife knew that he had overheard and had made the trade. It's like one of those, ah, no one's going to find out. Uh, it seems like they do more and more. Crazy story. Cocoa futures climbed as much as 4.6% on Monday after capping the biggest weekly jump since two, sorry, since 1999. Prices have soared as drought and disease ravage crops and key West African producers, uh, threatening to raise costs for chocolate makers that risk being passed on to consumers. This, according to Bloomberg, there are persistent signs of tightening supplies for key exporters. Bean arrivals at ports for shipments in top grower Ivory Coast are running about a third behind last year's pace, while Nigerian exports were down in January. In Hear, see, hearing a lot about could there be a shortage of chocolate for things like Easter and things like that. So, yeah, while while many of the commodities have really sloughed downwards and, and sloughed is being kind, cocoa has been a winner. If you were if you were short, if, if your trade was short corn, long cocoa, you 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 are living on some island now somewhere. When it comes to the farm bill, House Speaker Mike Johnson acknowledges the appropriations logjam is holding up the new farm bill. Johnson conveyed to his colleagues during a private conference call on Friday night that while he had initially aimed to complete the farm bill by this March, the ongoing funding issues have forced the delay in this timeline. So farm bill, not close. And uh, it's hard to be optimistic about the farm bill being done this year. I, I, that, at least that's I'm, I'm going with what I heard from Dr. Joe Outlaw from Texas A&M going back a month ago. It, it's got a 20, 2025 written all over it. We'll see. Maybe Mike Johnson, Speaker Johnson, can make it happen. If you have any feedback on today's show, we'd love to hear from you, okay? All you got to do is send me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com, or, of course, you can always call the Real Ag Feedback Line, 855-776-6147. Remember, you deal with many uncertainties on your farm. Managing risk should not be one of them. MMP's Ag Team specializes in risk management. Visit mmp.ca to learn how you can stay ahead of the game and plan for the unknown. Thanks so much, everybody, for getting real and getting connected with Real Ag Radio. And, of course, we will chat again tomorrow. Cheers, everybody. Thank you for downloading this Real Ag Radio podcast brought to you by Authority Strike Herbicide from FMC. Strike twice with two Group 14 modes of action and take care of the toughest broadleaf weeds, including kochia, cleavers, Russian thistle, and pigweed. See your local retailer today for more information.